With staffing at an all-time low among fire departments and other organizations across the continent, strategies for recruitment and retention have gained the spotlight. It seems organizations are more interested in scooping the proverbial water out of the boat rather than stopping the leak. And even then, some people are choosing to ignore the problem altogether. What those people don't realize is that they're sitting in the same boat. One of the ways we can address this issue that's becoming more prominent is to assess our cultures. I'll speak to the fire service culture specifically, but ultimately, the principles can be applied to a multitude of different organization structures. In today's episode, I'll talk about what we can do when it comes to having an effect on our culture that can have a huge impact on recruitment and retention. You are a working professional who's interested in doing your best in all aspects of your life. You put everything into the roles you play, but sometimes it can be hard to stay focused and avoid burnout. My name is Ryan Rodriguez, and as the host of the Ignited Podcast, I'm here to give you the tools and perspective you need to keep the four flames of fitness, intellect, relationships, and energy burning steady. By keeping those flames lit, your fire can burn bright. Join me in challenging the status quo by taking ownership of our lives, building up each other, and becoming the people that we were meant to be. Do more. Be more. Be ignited. When I first started working toward earning a career in the fire service, I would stand in lines for hours to receive a paper application along with thousands of other applicants. Once the limited amount of applications were all handed out, that was it. Game over. Until at least next year, or maybe even two years until budgeting allowed for more hiring. When I applied for the position with my current organization, I competed with 3,000 other candidates for three positions, and I got one. I'm coming up on my 18th year in the fire service, and I absolutely love what it is I do. I love my career. But what I don't love is how our culture has deteriorated the sense of family, brotherhood, and honor because we've resorted to lower standards, cronyism, and no accountability. It may sound like I'm coming down hard on the fire service, and I am, because when you love something, you want it to be better. Just like with my children. If they go out of bounds, lower their performance standards, and do things that would harm themselves or others, I have a responsibility as their father who loves them to make sure they get back in alignment with my family culture and the things that we value. Holding people accountable is an act of love. We love these people enough to help them get better. If I didn't care about you, I wouldn't want you to improve, right? If we didn't care about people, we wouldn't hold interventions about getting them back on track. I'd be fine with you ruining yourself if I didn't care. I'd be fine with that. At the very least, I'd be indifferent to it. I wrote a best-selling book last year called Own It. Build a Fire Service Culture of Trust and Integrity Through Accountability. And in this book, I focused on how every problem I've witnessed in the fire service can be traced back to a lack of accountability. Every 
single problem. The more I speak to people across North America, the more I come to understand that this isn't just a fire service issue. This is an organizational health issue across all kinds of different businesses and organizations. As frustration grew amongst the ranks due to administrators refusing to hold themselves and others accountable for their poor behavior and neglectful mistakes, the workers who fought so hard to earn a spot on a fire truck became frustrated, angry, and burned out. And as a result, a lot have decided to leave as soon as they could. This mass exodus significantly reduced staffing levels among the fire service, leaving those who were just getting their career started to pick up the pieces and share the load, or basically just carry the load. This has a large negative effect on the new people because they were left to carry that burden of the staffing workload. This hit them hard and caused a good portion of them to leave for other organizations or leave the fire service altogether or spread the word and be like, hey, this is not what I thought and they will work you to death. So what does that do for recruitment? It plummets it. In the worst case scenarios, it was causing newly sworn firefighters, men and women who had achieved their dream of becoming firefighters, to commit suicide for the guilt and burnout that accompanied the heavy responsibility of mandatory overtime and staffing problems. People were being required to neglect their families and themselves for the sake of staffing, for the sake of the organization. People who had eagerly signed up to work 24 and 48 hour shifts were now working 72, 96, and even 120 hours straight. With the increase in mental health casualties in the United States, this demand put on, quote, America's heroes is just too much to ask. Rather than take ownership of the situation, administrators focused on convincing the workers that they aren't doing their part and that they are letting the organization down if they didn't answer the call for overtime. They would oftentimes resort to toxic positivity to pile on the guilt and make people feel like they should be just grateful and indebted to have a job such as prideful and wonderful and lofty as ours. While this is truly how we feel in that we are proud to do what we do, and while we should be grateful and humbled to have this job, we should not be exploited because of it. This practice of shirking accountability, which fosters toxicity, has resulted in significantly reduced numbers for recruitment, significantly increased numbers of people leaving the career early, and significantly increased numbers of firefighter and first responder suicides. We have to pay attention to this epidemic if we want to truly solve the problem rather than simply abate symptoms because I'm here to tell you, we are only going to be able to stay afloat for so long. Like I'd mentioned earlier, this recruitment and retention problem isn't unique to the fire service. It's a problem that corporate organizations are facing as well, and it can also be attributed to toxic cultures. According to a McKinsey poll, 51% of employees who recently quit their job cited a lack of belonging at work as a critical reason for leaving. Now, I'd like to focus on a particular word here, belonging. I'd also like to point out the difference between fitting in and belonging. I look at it this way. Fitting in means that you are willing to sacrifice who you really are 
in order to gain favor and advancement within a group of people. Belonging means that you can be your authentic self and not only be accepted for it, but celebrated for it. Belonging means that you're being recognized for who you are as a person rather than the lies you're willing to tell yourself and others in order to gain favor and position. Ignoring the transgressions of these people, or worse, promoting them, is a perfect display of scooping water out of the boat rather than plugging the hole and, and not addressing the root issue. Administrators and cronies at the top will pretend to pay attention. They'll pretend. They'll, they'll make it look like we're, we're, we're trying to do something. See, look, optics over principle. But in all reality, they'll lose the nerve when, it, when, when their feet are held to the fire. They're going to lose their nerve when accountability comes knocking. Organizations talk about mental health and showcase a facade of mental health programs. But ultimately, if it interferes with staffing or the status quo advancement of toxic leaders, mental health is mocked as having a weakness. It's stigmatized. A lot of this sounds like anecdotal, and to a point, it is. However, the statistics that I shared with you are based on actual research performed on working professionals. And just like I mentioned earlier, ignoring the leak and feigning like you're paying attention to the problem and dumping out the water affects everyone within the organization and significantly contributes to the feelings of not belonging that I just talked about. Not only will people feel like they don't belong for being who they really are and having passion for the job, they'll soon lose that passion. And if they wind up staying, will become a victim of the toxicity, which leads to burnout. Now let's talk about the role of organizational culture and what that really is. Organizational culture is a set of shared beliefs, values, norms, and behaviors that define the way an organization operates and the way its employees interact. It's the personality of an organization, and it influences how people within that organization perceive and respond to various aspects of their work environment. So here's an explanation or kind of a list of the concepts of, of what organizational culture looks like, as well as uh, items of significance. So there's, there's a system of shared beliefs and values. Organizational culture includes the core beliefs and values that guide decision-making and behavior within that organization. These are the principles that employees are expected to uphold, and they shape the organization's identity. These are the things that that the people within the organization naturally want to do. So like, for example, the fire service for the fire department, uh, professionalism is a core value. That is one thing that we, we strive to showcase in everything that we do. We don't walk. Well, <laughs> I say we, but those of us who value that or exemplify that core value, don't walk around with shirts untucked. We don't walk around with stained shirts, dirty boots, greasy pants, like, you know, hair unkept, poor hygiene, all of that. We don't do that because it's not professional. But in order to exemplify and embrace that core value and showcase it, you have to take action toward that thing. Also, there are norms and behaviors among organizational culture that, that set the standard for how employees should behave and interact with each other, not only with each other, but with clients, customers, and external stakeholders. It can influence how people dress, communicate, 
and collaborate within the workplace. Like I said, right, it kind of goes tandem hand in hand with professionalism. Um, but we also have cultural artifacts. So it's often, culture is often reflected in observable artifacts, such as like office layouts, symbols, dress code, rituals, uh, the way the state, the fire station looks, the, the colors of our fire trucks. You know, these are the things that provide tangible evidence to the organization's culture. Um, the symbol we wear as firefighters on all of our shirts, first of all, all of our shirts are like that dark navy blue, right? It, it's rare when you're going to come across a firefighter in North America who is not wearing a navy blue shirt. And on top of that, the symbol that we wear is the Maltese cross. And, and honestly, I could do a whole podcast episode on the significance of the Maltese cross and what that symbolizes and what that means and where it comes from. And maybe I will. But these are the cultural artifacts that exist among the fire service that I have seen, that I can tangibly see. These provide tangible evidence to the organizational culture, what we believe, what we stand for. The significance, some, some details that offer some significance when it comes to uh, great organizational cultures. Uh, and, I, and I use the term great because this honestly should be like the basis the, the most minimal basic comparison, if, if, if you can put your organization up to the, this list, this little template that I'm about to share with you, and it's pretty on par, then you're doing good. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to stop and slow your roll, but you're doing good. So keep doing what you're doing and keep improving. So let's start with this list of, of significance of a great organizational culture. So number one, employee engagement. A positive and a well-defined culture can lead to higher levels of employee engagement. When employees identify with the organization's values and feel a sense of belonging, there's that word again, belonging, they're more motivated and committed to their work. Why? Excuse me. Because they're invested. They're passionate. Their values align. There is an alignment. If you're not aligned with what you're doing, you're not going to feel good about it. You're not going to feel good. You're not going to want to be in that environment. You're not going to want to be around, which is reflected in sick time and vacation increases, right? Number two, let's talk about recruitment or retention, R&R, right? The, the big R words right now. A strong organizational culture can attract like-minded individuals who align, there's that word alignment, with the company's values and goals. It can also improve retention rates as employees who feel they uh, belong and there's that word again, right, are more likely to stay because they're happy where they are. They have that belonging. They have that purpose. Number three, product, or performance and productivity. Culture shapes how employees approach their tasks and collaborate with colleagues. A healthy culture can lead to improved performance and higher levels of productivity. When you like the people you work with, when they treat you well and when, you're, when everybody's getting along, shit gets done, man. Like if, if, if everybody's backbiting and there's negativity around and nobody wants to be around each other, nobody's going to come together to do the job effectively. And you know what the crazy part is about the fire service? It's like, if, if you observe a bad crew, these people do what? They don't really spend a whole lot of time together. Like when they're at the station, they're off doing their own thing. Everybody's off doing their own thing. Right. Um, and, and now we have like individual bunk rooms. So everybody's like off in their room. And then when the tones go out, we come together, we run the call, we do the call, and then we 
then we separate again, which to me is not a sign of a healthy crew. You want to be doing things together, not just eating together. I mean, if you even do that together, there are some crews who don't even do that together. But anyway, if, uh, if you're not doing things together continually, or, you know, it's time for the leader to take a look at what's going on and take some action. Uh, number four, innovation and adaptability. Certain cultures foster innovation and adaptability by encouraging employees to take risks and learn from their failures, right? I've, I've been hearing, and you, you guys will hear me rag on this a lot, this whole thing about like fail often. Well, nobody tells a freaking surgeon to do that, right? Like that's ridiculous. Don't, don't, don't buy into this whole bullshit idea of like, oh, fail often because that's the only way you learn. A, that is not the only way you learn, all right? It can be a way you learn, but it's not the only way. And you shouldn't encourage people to fail often. You should be encouraging success. Like, come on, this whole like pansy ass culture of failure is really, is really rubbing me raw as you can tell. But this can be critical for organizations in rapidly changing industries, uh, innovation and adaptability, right? Just, just think of, uh, AI and all the things that that's challenging the, the technology community with. Um, I'm intrigued to see how that is going to, infiltrate or or become a part of the fire service how is that going to work are we going to use ai to help um identify new strategies for fire attack fire control fire prevention i mean ems algorithms like are we going to be using ai to build our medical treatment algorithms now like who knows this is this is crazy the ramifications the implications are are insane and unlimited right now especially so are you innovating are you adaptable there are so many people i work uh on a on a web-based uh documentation system when i run ems calls i, I grab an ipad i start an e-chart and uh, i use image trend the, no, no sponsor here, but it's just, it's the template that we use or it's the format that we use, the program that we use to do our EMS charting. So I grab an iPad, I start a new chart and uh, like I know right where all my stuff is, right? It takes me a matter of seconds to get from one screen to the next screen because I know my tool. I like that is the <laughs> number one tool that I use the most when I go to work is my iPad, my EMS chart. Because, you know, if you're working in the fire service, you obviously know that medical calls, emergency medical calls are the majority of what it is we do. We don't put out fires every day. We don't run on fires every day. That's, that's low frequency stuff, high risk, but low frequency. We do high frequency EMS, EMS calls. We run EMS calls every single day. I might go a whole 48 hour shift and not run a single fire call. I'm talking car fire, garbage fire, attic fire, structure fire, commercial fire. No, not, none of that. Campfire, hell, campfire even. I'll go a whole 48 hours and not run a fire call. But you bet your ass I'm going to be running EMS calls. So I better be <laughs> fully aware and adaptable when it comes to my, my iPad and my electronic chart. I see some of these fools, like, guys, honestly... I'm going to be ranting on this whole podcast, so you better just get used to it. But <laughs> um, I can look at a look at a three year old at, at the grocery store, and they are flying through mom's phone or an iPad or something that's keeping them busy. They're flying through it. They're they're <laughs> they're 
adaptable to it. They're learning through it, all of that stuff. And then I'll see like 50-year-old guys grab an iPad and it just whoops their ass. It kicks their ass. Like even if it's like a simple refusal, like if we get an EMS refusal, a patient refusal, a patient who does not want to be medically evaluated, does not want to go to the hospital, does not even want to be touched, let's say they don't even want to sign the refusal form stating that we showed up to help them and they refused all that stuff. They have every right to refuse all of those things. They can be like, no, I'm not signing your form. Get out of here. I've watched people who have been in this career for close to 20 years get freaking owned by an iPad where all that was really required of them was to timestamp some of the events, fill out their own signature and state that state what happened on the call. If anything happened at all, it takes them hours to finish that. And it's freaking ridiculous. Like learn your tools, be innovative, be adaptable, understand what the hell it is you're doing. Anyway, moving on next thing. Number five, conflict resolution. A well-defined culture provides a framework for resolving conflicts and making decisions. Employees can refer to the organization's values and norms to navigate disagreements and ethical dilemmas. Well, that, that might be kind of a struggle if you don't have clear core values and if you don't have a clear system set up for resolving conflicts and making decisions. Notice how it said framework. Framework is so crucial. If you're trying to build something amazing, if you're trying to build anything, right, a big structure, anything. What do you put up? You put up scaffolding. You build a foundation, right? Only then, only by building that scaffolding and that framework, can you build the rest of the building. And that framework will come down once that building can stand on its own. But not until then. And if you don't have systems, if you have an HR department who plays hot potato with situations, which I've been there, guys, I've been there. I've brought things to, um, HR before. And it's just like, Oh, well, that's not my problem. And I'm like, actually it is your problem because you're human resources. So this is a human resources issue. But anyway, um, if you don't have a framework for these things, nothing's going to get resolved. Important decisions aren't going to be effectively made. So set up a, uh, a well-defined culture or set up a well-defined framework for resolving conflicts and making decisions. I would challenge you all to look within your own organizations and just see, see what kind of framework, if any, currently exists for conflict resolution. Is there a template? Is there a decision-making process? Is there a decision tree? Some people call that the tree of knowledge. And again, kind of going down a rabbit hole, but I could go off on that too. The tree of knowledge is basically a decision tree. Anyway, number six, customer satisfaction. Organizational culture can extend to customer interactions. That's an obvious one for us as firefighters, because if we're bringing a shit culture to our patients, they're going to feel it. And then we're going to feel it when, you know, they taxes don't get approved and bonds don't get passed. When employees embody the organization's culture, it positively impacts customer service and satisfaction. And I'm talking external and internal. Okay. People will want you to be around not just on their, the worst day of their lives. Number seven, brand image. The culture of an organization is often projected externally and contributes to its brand image. A strong, positive culture can enhance the organization's reputation and appeal 
to customers and partners. So one interesting thing that I saw the other day, I saw a commercial for Amazon and uh, their little logo, right? It's like a smile. Uh, officially, uh, originally it was like Amazon and it would have an arrow going from A to Z, like an arrow, right? Because they sold everything from A to Z. And now there was like a dichotomous message within that logo because it was not only just an arrow pointing that they sold everything from A to Z, but it was also a smile. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm shopping on Amazon or when I'm getting these Amazon packages, I smile. I'm happy. I'm happy that I got the thing that I bought. And I'm super happy that it came like later that afternoon or whatever, instead of having to wait like six to eight weeks when I was a kid for anything. Um, but anyway, the, the symbol and the brand that you're projecting externally is a representation of you. If you lose your brand, uh, you know, I, there are fire departments out there who have the most amazing Malteses and like the most amazing badges. And, and these Malteses have such character and, and they're so beautiful. And I have witnessed these organizations take that beautiful thing and make it completely blasé, completely blasé. In fact, I have witnessed chiefs deconstruct a fire department's Maltese to purposefully make it look like another larger department's Maltese. You can't even tell the difference except for letters. And even then the scrambles are kind of hard to read. But it's like, where is your brand? Where is your culture? You, you have completely sold it out. Where is your uniqueness? You purposefully sold it off. You purposefully got rid of it to try to like align yourself with a completely different organization. Instead of building your own culture and organization, you sold it out to, to align more with a completely different organization. Like how opposite and ass backwards is that? It's so crazy, you guys. So crazy. Anyway, <clears throat> number eight, long-term success. A well-crafted culture can help an organization endure over time. It provides stability and a sense of purpose that transcends individual leaders or market fluctuations. So if, you're, if you have a strong crew, let's, say, let's talk about just crew culture for a minute. If you have a strong crew and you get a new captain, that new captain is only going to be able to implement so much of their ego within that crew because that crew is so tight knit and bought in on what it is that they're doing and what it is that they believe and what it is that they're sharing that they are providing the foundation for that leader. Now the leader might try to come in and push their ego on him. It's not going to work out too well, but a really good leader would observe that crew culture and observe that dynamic and embrace it and leverage it to make things better and amplify it. They would take that thing and amplify it instead of trying to stamp it out and create something new. So in summary, organizational culture is a powerful force within an organization that influences nearly every aspect of its functioning for good or bad. Like I've mentioned in some of these examples, its significance lies in its ability to shape the behavior and attitudes of employees, affecting their engagement, their performance, and the organization's overall success and overall health. 
Recognizing and actively managing culture can be a strategic advantage in recruitment, retention, and the achievement of long-term goals. All right, I've talked a little bit about uh, fire service culture, but let's let's put some more definitions on this. One of the ironic things that I've noticed when it comes to the fire service is that we often refer to the career as a, quote, family, right? And you see that on TV and all that stuff. And granted, we spend a third of our lives living and bleeding with the people we sit next to on the fire trucks. However, one thing that stands out to me is just how much fire service organizations require you to neglect your own real family for the sake of the fire department, quote, family, right? I saw this exemplified in seeing a retiring fire chief not even be able to name his own grandkids who showed up to celebrate his retirement. What a travesty. But this type of behavior is rewarded within the ranks of the fire service. He was only able to become the fire chief because he took steps away from his family. And he was he was constantly down at admin, constantly at these firehouses, constantly doing everything for the fire fire department and blah, 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 to the point where he completely let his family go. If you aren't willing to sacrifice your own family, then you can't expect to be promoted or held in any esteem within the fire service. Now, that's a sad truth. I'm not saying this is the case for every organization. I'm not saying that this is the case for every situation. Stop being extreme. But it's proven time and time again that if you aren't willing to put your family upon the altar to sacrifice them for your promotions, then you're not worth anything there. In fact, I've heard people get mocked for taking time off to spend birthdays or graduations or even trick-or-treating. Recently, it was Halloween, right? I heard people get mocked for taking time off to go trick-or-treating with their kids. It's a shameful, toxic practice that needs to stop. The traditions and values that shape the fire service culture are often aligned with other organizations, things like integrity, passion, brotherhood, right? Yes, the culture is a bit different than other typical professions, which is what makes it great. But we are losing that due to our own self-interests and stepping on others to get to the top rather than being focused on helping others achieve more. As a result, we see standards decrease. We see physical fitness standards lowered. We see a lack of character in the people we're hiring and promoting. A culture that people want to be a part of is created with compassion, consistency, and capability. All three of these elements are what will build trust and unbreakable bonds. Not the promotion of some guy who doesn't even meet the requirements, but you know what? Hey, he's here and he's already a part of our organization, so we don't have to look outside. So let's just let's just promote him up the chain, even though he's got quite a rap sheet of uh, terrible practices and poor leadership before, terrible tactics. But you know what? Promote the guy because he's here, whatever. He's, quote, done his time, right? Done his time. You know, I know people who have been in the fire service with 30 years, quote, experience on the job that don't even have an equivalent of five years of actual job experience. Just because you take up space and breathe air on a fire truck doesn't mean you have actual experience. So that argument to me is right out. But a big problem facing us today is, uh, is compassion fatigue and a lack of resilience strategies 
When people feel burned out at work, they can only fall back on the frameworks, again, there's that word, frameworks that they have in place outside of work to keep going. And even then, sometimes it isn't enough. I plan on talking about that in an upcoming episode, so I'll dive further into what those things are and how to address them then. But for now, understand that when our sense of purpose and passion is diminished at work, we tend to feel it in all areas of our lives. Again, a culture that people want to be a part of is created with compassion, consistency, and capability. So when we see people who aren't expressing those three things, and I'm talking all three of those things. A leader needs all three of those things. Not just, they don't just need to be consistent because what if they're consistently an asshole? Then that doesn't mean anything. But I need you to be consistent, capable, and compassionate. Let's talk about cultural elements that impact recruiting and retention. We've talked a lot about different, the culture, some of the things that, that uh, are causing low recruitment and retention, but Let's talk about some specific things uh, like I talked about belonging versus fitting in. And one of the best, uh, the biggest practices that I see in organizations that decimates morale is when people are rewarded for changing to fit the narrative. It's again, choosing optics over principle, right? They're giving up who they really are to put on this show of what the organization wants them to be. But even then it's really shit. It's really not that good. Like, it's so crazy to me because they think they're really doing a good job and they really think they're like, you know, oh, I'm really giving up who I am and, and it really means a lot. And you know what they're giving themselves up for is more money, is a raise, right? And the and the official title or rank of captain or engineer or chief or whatever it is, they're just they're just giving up their integrity for that title, for that pay without actually deserving it or earning it. But by this, I mean that they... They say the right things, the things that the administration wants to hear. They check the right boxes, and they weasel their way up the chain to produce nothing of real value. I mean, how many of you get emails from supervisors or managers who haven't shown their faces in years? Decades even. Decades, right? You cannot check a pulse remotely. I'm going to repeat that. You can't check a pulse remotely. In that, I mean that you have to get out in the field and check in on your troops to see what they're doing. There are no better people to tell you the challenges coming up the chain of command, telling us what the challenges that the organization is going to be facing than the boots on the ground, the people in the field. People have to get over their ego and realize that the higher up they go in the organizational chart, the more responsibility they have to the people that form the foundation of that organizational chart. I say the word organizational chart. You guys can see it in your mind. You guys can close your eyes and see that pyramid in your mind, right? Guess who's on the bottom? Quote, unquote, bottom, right? All the line workers. All the line workers, people who... the. The people who actually make up the organization and, and make the organization actually exist are doing all the work, right? The further you go up, the less people there are, right? The less people there are. Because those are the people who are supposed to be supporting and leading the people on the ground, which is so crazy. It's one of these interesting dichotomies because within the fire service, you have all the firefighters who are, are really the foundation of the organization. And you can look at that pyramid structure and, and see that 
like physically and literally, um, or, or symbolically and literally, but, uh, it's the people at the top who are supposed to lead those people. But honestly, you know what, like we can, we can put out fires, we can run EMS calls, we can drive fire trucks around, put out fires, run EMS calls, do all of these things. We can do all that without chiefs. Like a fire department exists because there are people on a fire truck putting out fires, right? Not because there's someone in an office sending emails. Now I'm not diminishing, I'm not trying to diminish the logistics of an organization. Leadership is important, but the key here, the key term here is leadership, not positions. Positions are not important. What is important is leadership. And just because you are in a quote leadership position does not a leader make. I, I've, I've known plenty and I'm sure you guys can think of people too, who are in leadership positions that have no leadership skills. And if anything, they're a detriment to the organization. But if leaders don't nurture their people, then their people will starve and they'll cling to anything that provides them a sense of fulfillment. And this includes toxic behaviors without a sense of succession planning or without a sense of like looking to the future and active mentoring. It's asinine to hope for a brighter future. It's completely insane to think that things are going to get better if you're not willing to put the time in to invest in these things. You've got to put active systems in place that can be put into action on a daily basis. I'm not talking about a list of chores to do around the station. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about things that actively get your people engaged. I was on a, a Zoom meeting. Well, I guess it was technically a Microsoft Teams meeting once where I actually heard a captain complain about how hard it is to come up with training every day. Oh, it's so difficult. I was freaking disgusted. I couldn't believe that this golden boy was openly admitting that he wasn't capable of doing his job. Your job by definition as a captain is to lead your crew, A, keep them safe and make sure, B, that, that you're doing something daily to move the needle forward. And he's on here whining openly to everyone that he's just, it's just so hard to come up with things every day. It's so hard. Not only that, not only was I like dry heaving when I heard all this shit, but there was no accountability for such open ineptitude. A captain's job, like I said, is not only to keep their crew safe, but to nurture their capability through actively planning things that will do just that, including daily training. And training could be a multitude of different things, guys. It could be some cool YouTube videos. It could be discussing EMS protocols, a simple conversation, right? Reviewing EMS charts, getting perspective on uh, new recruitment practices, maybe talking to your new recruits about some new things that they've been doing in the academy. Um, as opposed to, like, I've been on the truck for almost 20 years. I'm always interested in what, what the recruits come out of the academy knowing. I want to know. I want to know what they're doing. What the, what are the new things? What are the changes? All of this stuff. And guys, these are just off the top of my head. It doesn't mean go outside and pull hose every day, but it does mean that sometimes, right? It means that sometimes you do that, but get creative. Like it's, you're getting paid and you got promoted and you're getting paid to do that thing. So freaking shut up, stop whining and do your freaking job.
Anyway, let's talk about some strategies for cultural transformation. <laughs> you can tell, guys, I'm getting a little amped up about this. I'm passionate about it, but it's a good thing. It's a good thing because you guys are reaping the benefits. Step one of transforming your culture is to take a step back and look at your current situation and ask yourself, how can I make things better? If you can take a step back and think to yourself, things are great and they don't need to change, then I'm sorry to inform you, but you're a part of the problem. Okay. If you're looking back and you think things are great and we don't need to change things because this is how we've always done them, then guess what? You're a part of the problem. People on the ground level can only do so much without the support of their supervisors and their leaders. If there are people out there who are starting grassroots movements, then it's the leader's job to nurture that and help them steer or help, help steer those people in a productive way, not stamp it out or worse, steal the idea and take credit for themselves, which guys, I'm sure you know, happens a lot. What do you think that does for trust? It completely obliterates it. And I mentioned before, like you're building your culture either way for good or bad. So if you want a good culture, maybe don't do that thing. But again, we, we are continually rewarding people who are looking out for number one and throwing other people under the bus. So until that changes, everyone, don't expect recruitment to improve and retention to improve. Don't expect it. You can't expect it because you cannot continually do the same thing over and over again and expect a different results or a different result. You, you just can't do it, guys. It's, it's, it's asinine at best. Leaders have got to put their finger on the pulse of their people. They've got to do it. I mentioned before how you can't physically take a pulse remotely. You've got to meet your people where they are and, and ask them questions and be willing to, to listen to the answers. This can be one of the hardest things to do because people don't like hearing negative things, especially about themselves. It is crucial to the idea of continual improvement to create an environment where people feel safe giving their honest feedback without fear of retribution. People also need to be given feedback on how they're performing. This is a great opportunity for leaders to step in with compassion, ding, 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 right? Compassion and be a real human and show concern for their people. And I'm not talking about annual performance reviews that come around once every five years. Yeah, you heard that right. An annual review that I get once every five years or every time a new chief comes into town, which I guess in my experience has been every five years. Huh? But I'm talking at the very least meeting with people one-on-one -on, -one on a quarterly basis at the very least. This makes sure that there's enough time to make some quick corrections if needed so that your team can perform safely, can perform with purpose and perform with passion. So let's talk about some success stories here. I know I've been a little bit doom and gloom, so let's finish on a bright note, shall we? I've personally worked with crews and teams and even fire service administrators to help line out a clear path toward culture transformation. Sadly, some lose steam and some lose sight of what they openly promised to the group that they would do, which to me puts a spotlight on the people that were promoted beyond their capability and there needs to be some sort of accountability there. But while some people were just paying lip service, there are others who put their plan and promises into action. And those crews and those organizations are thriving. 
They are thriving. When a group of people are willing to humble themselves and sit down with each other to openly talk about the challenges they face as a whole, they can become unstoppable. But it doesn't start there. I've seen leaders try to come right out of the gate with this approach rather than do what needs to be done to do a pulse check on the organization and its people. Rather than have real conversations with people in one-on-one activity or one-on-one conversations and taking active steps to build trust, they simply demand it from their people right away without proving that they deserve it. That's a huge red flag and an indicator of ego at work. Humility is where it starts. Humility. You don't come into an organization and be like, all right, we're going to have a meeting and you're all going to tell me what you think is wrong with the organization. Or we're all going to have this meeting and you're all going to tell me what you think is wrong about, uh, you know, what it is you're dealing with or whatever. We're just going to be open and you're just going to talk to everybody without building any kind of trust. I just expect you to trust me. Like how arrogant, how freaking arrogant is that? You've got to come in and do the work, bro. Like you got to come in and you've got to start talking to people one-on-one. You've got to reach out to people. And I'm not just talking about your golden pony boys, like the silos that these people create. I'm talking about everyone, everyone. You can't like, again, I'll use, I've used this analogy before and I'll use it again. Like getting out on the scene of a, of an, of a car wreck, of an MVA, like let's say you got out on the scene of a rollover, single vehicle rollover, right? You get out on scene. You don't just get out and take the one perspective and and like operate off of the one perspective that you showed up at. You get out, you walk around the vehicle, you do a quick triage, you identify what needs to be addressed right away and what can wait. And then you report back. And then as the scene continues and as your work continues, you are continually reassessing that risk management profile, continually going over it from the start of the incident to the end of the incident. And even after the incident is over, you should be having uh, an after action review where you talk about what happened, what happened, what went well, what was supposed to happen. What went well? What actually happened? What didn't go so well? What are some things we can improve on? All of that stuff. You guys would be amazed at how much this gets preached and not practiced. It's crazy. Like we can do the shit out of this on a fire ground, right? We can we can show up. We're like, there's the fire. What do we do? That's the priority, right? Let's put water on the fire. Boom, done. And then we mitigate. We have this whole command structure in place, this whole framework in place, which is amazing to witness. This whole command framework and structure in place for fire incidents. And we run the hell out of it. And it's amazing to watch. Why can't we do it when it comes to our own organizations? Hell, why can't we do it when it comes to our own families? Why can't we do it when it comes to our own lives? Why are we so focused on making sure that we're dialed in when it comes to the fire department, but we can't even dial in our own lives? (laughs) Like, I laugh here, but it's so sad. It's so sad. I'm really just dumbfounded, which is why I'm laughing. I don't think it's funny. I think it's tragic that this happens. People are burying themselves in the fire service and losing who they are outside of it. And it's absolutely tragic. Wrapping up this episode, guys, I want to leave you with some key takeaways. 
understand that no matter what organization we're a part of, we are all in the same boat. And if there's a leak, we need to stop the leak first. Then we can start scooping out the water. Just like when it comes to our trauma patients, right? We need to stop the bleeding before we can do anything else effectively. And excuse me, another key takeaway I, I want to leave with you guys is uh, lack of, excuse me, now I got the hiccups, great. Lack of recruitment and retention is a direct reflection of your organization's culture. I'm going to say that again. Lack of recruitment and retention is a direct reflection of your organization's culture. Shots fired, bro. Shots fired. And for those out there who want to use the excuse of, well, everyone's feeling it, everyone's having this problem, then I'd like to specifically call you on the carpet for your complacency in that trend. Because if you're trying to use the excuse of everyone's dealing with it as a reason or a a solution, I say solution, but I can't even use that term, as a reason to not take action, then F you, man. Like, oh, everyone's got this problem. Oh, really? Then maybe you should take some freaking ownership of it and solve it, right? Instead of whining and bitching about everyone's got the problem. Why don't you take some freaking ownership of the problem, create a solution, and contribute instead of being a fat turd on the bump of some frog's ass hopping down the river, right? Whatever. Anyway, a couple of more <laughs> guys. I'm getting fired up. I'm I'm not apologizing for it. I'm not apologizing for it because I'm bringing the heat. Uh, people want to be a part of a culture that is compassionate, consistent, and competent. And finally, I'd like to express to you that if you're listening to this, then you're probably someone who has passion for what you do, and you're seeking ways to continually improve. Kudos to you for taking ownership of things and taking action toward making things better. I applaud you. Personally, I am reaching out through the airwaves here, through this podcast, and giving you a big hug because you are the ones that are making things better. Just by trying, just by trying to make things better, you are inherently making things better. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Share it with someone like you who's looking to make improvements in their lives and become the best version of themselves. If you'd like to get in on what we're doing inside the Forge, which is my coaching mastermind group, just click the link in the show notes and fill out an application. I'll reach out to you soon so we can start refining you in the FIRE framework of fitness, intellect, relationships, and energy. For those of you who aren't familiar with what The Forge is, it's a group of people who work on specific goals during a 12-week period through daily accountable action steps. I provide a reading selection for each quarter as well as a custom workbook that will accompany it that will have you doing assignments and challenges throughout the, throughout the month, uh, each month of the quarter. I lead, or yeah, that's how it works each month of the quarter, um, three months and a quarter. <laughs> Sorry, math moment. I lead weekly discussions on our challenges and I hold you accountable to your goals. And I expect you guys to hold me accountable to my goals. You'll get more done in 12 weeks than most people do in 12 months, or dare I say it, 12 years. You guys would be amazed. I'm telling you right now, 
of the cool, crazy, awesome shit that you will accomplish in 12 weeks. It's fire. This is Ryan Rodriguez signing off, challenging you all to keep your four flames burning bright. Stay safe, stay inspired, and refine yourself to become the person you were meant to be. Be ignited. Ignited.